Hi, and welcome to this episode of Telecom Talk. I'm Mike Murphy, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about cloud computing, favorite subject of ours, uh, along with access methods to cloud computing and, and really some of the impacts. Uh, we're very fortunate to be joined today by Dwayne Barnes, the technical guru of rapid scale. Dwayne, how are you? Doing great today. How are you doing, Mike? Good, real good. You know, and, and what I'd like to do today is is pick up on a conversation that we were having uh, a little while back as it relates to cloud-based services and access points and some of the things that are going to impact the performance of your cloud. And you were telling me a great story about, you know, some of your clients that were using virtual desktops and other services and suddenly started to have a lot of problems with performance and, you know, came back to, to you as a service provider and said, hey, the performance is not so great, guys. Something changed. You need to fix it. And I guess if we can start there, Dwayne, and you can talk a little bit about some of those cases that came up. I, I found it pretty fascinating that, um, you know, the way things impacted the level of service. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, given that we're the applications and desktops that we provide to our customers are pretty pretty latency sensitive. Um, we're always interested in being part of the conversations with our, our clients around you know connectivity and you know uh, ways to connect you know to our service as you kind of started off the segment. Uh, we had a handful of customers, and I'll, I'll kind of give two two use cases um, uh, that uh, decided, hey, I'm going to jump on this SD WAN bandwagon. You know, for for a lot of good reasons. Um, so they, you know, contacted some some consultancies and and you know kind of went down that path. Uh, one was a, a fairly large uh, retail uh, chain in the southwestern part of the country, and uh, they had, uh, you know, unbeknownst to 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 rapid scale, gone down a path of, you know, selecting an SD WAN provider and implementing it. You know, one Monday morning rolls around, and all of a sudden, our uh, call center lights up, and this particular customer, you know, multiple folks from various locations were calling in complaining about uh, the, the desktop performance. Now, generally, when that happens, it's usually, uh, you know, network related, or or some sort of uh, patch or something had happened, you know, over the weekend that may have caused that. But given it was a single customer, we felt, huh, that's interesting. We didn't make any changes over the weekend. What did you guys do? And of course, the end users, uh, unaware of the, uh, <laughs> the the master plan from the headquarters, um, said they didn't make any changes either. So it took a few hours of, of calling various folks in, in leadership roles at the customer site to try it and, you know, get, you know, the, the full story of what had happened. And they had moved to a uh, an SD-WAN solution at, at a handful of their locations over that previously previous weekend. So with that knowledge in hand, our engineers were able to jump in and, and start troubleshooting. And as it turns out, that particular SD-WAN provider was head-ending all of their traffic on the opposite side of the country from where our data center was at and providing services to those end users. So in a virtual desktop world, we, we really like to try and keep that latency to 40 milliseconds or less from the end user to the, um, to the, to the servers in, in the cloud. And this you know, nearly doubled that and certainly explained why the, the latency or why the performance was perceived to be so poor by the end users is because you essentially doubled the network latency to the desktops. Um, so the long and short of it there is 
you know, you have to be really, really aware of not just the speeds and feeds of whatever appliance gets dropped on, on the, the premises of the customer, but how the backend network is actually designed and whether or not it's going to improve performance and reliability and redundancy to that customer, or is it going to degrade performance, which certainly isn't anybody's intention, but without that extra level of due diligence, sometimes that can inadvertently happen. Yeah, and I guess, Dwayne, one of the, I won't even say frustrations, I'll, I'll say challenges in the world that we're in is terms that tend to become very generic. So cloud, cloud is one that becomes very generic, and, and we've spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about breaking that down. What does it really mean? Another term that has become incredibly generic is SD-WAN, and people will, on a very regular basis, seem like, you know, throw everything into an SD-WAN bucket or SDN and not know the difference between SDN and SD-WAN and, and all that great stuff. And what I'd really love to be able to do is spend a few minutes breaking down from your perspective what that really means. What, what does SD-WAN mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I agree 100%. You know, sometimes we get caught on these industry buzzwords and it's 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 great for sales folks because they can, you know, throw a few out there and get a door open. And Easy now, it, steady. It helps. I might be called a salesperson <laughs> once in a while, Dwayne. Let's not get carried away. Uh, myself included. Uh, you know, it's easy to boil stuff down to a common, you know, language, so to speak. So, you know, it certainly makes sense from a marketing perspective as well. But, you know, as you pointed out, SD-WAN can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different folks. And, you know, obviously you have the acronym, right? Software Defined Wide Area Network. Um, but of course, that the implementation of that is, is vastly different across all the different uh, folks out there claiming to be providing SD-WAN services. Um, so I like to break it apart in the two, two distinct um, buckets. One is the WAN part of it, right? The, the actual network, what are we layering that software on top of? And then the software side um, that generally coincides with either a physical or virtual appliance. And if you kind of think about them separately, it's a lot easier to start asking intelligent questions of, of the provider. Um, and of course you have uh, the, the, the hardware guys out there that are selling the boxes. And then you've got the, the um, the carriers that are providing those boxes as a service on top of their um, network backbones. And that, that, that's really the key components of, of the, the delivery of that, that service. And then, of course, you can then narrow it down into the, the features and functionality of each one of those various providers out there. So I think, again, if you simplify it down to, you know, you've got the network guys and you've got the you know, appliance guys, and, and sometimes they're the same guy. You know, if, if you take an example of like an Ariaka, right, they're providing the global backbone as well as the hardware and, and appliances. Um, they're a true, you know, SD-WAN provider, and they're very good for, you know, global companies. Then you've got the Velo Clouds and the, um, you know, Cisco Meraki's of the world, um, you know, the Riverbeds. Uh, Talaris and, and a lot of these other guys that are making physical and virtual appliances and then either reselling them through the carriers or bolting them on top of whatever uh, available uh, network actually exists. Yeah, so, so one of the things that we've really drilled into with our clients is that for 
cloud applications or data center applications or any kind of distributed computing and data type applications, you really have to understand how things are interconnected, where things live, to the point that you're making here, the latency based on the configuration or the design of the network that you just used to access your, your virtual desktop, you know, doubled in latency uh, when you deployed the new network. I guess what steps would you take, you talk about doing due diligence, what things do you look at from, you know, as a cloud provider, what steps do you need to take when it's you're looking at network and making sure that you're going to have the right performance there? Uh, great question. I think one of the things that, that we've done to try, you know, of course, reduce as much of that um, worry to our end users as possible is we've deployed in three distinct uh, zones in the U.S. Um, so we've got an East Coast, a West Coast, and a Central U.S. Um, data center presence. And generally speaking, you know, as the crow flies, um, that's going to cover, you know, three quarters to, to, to 90% of our of our customer base within 40 milliseconds or addressable customer base. So from just a pure real estate perspective, uh, that's something you, you really have to do if you're gonna be able to provide low latency application access. Um, you know, the next part is, I always like to ask customers, what is your goal? You know, somebody pitched you SD-WAN, you think it's a good idea, we think it's probably a good idea, but what, were you, what problem were you trying to solve? Were you simply just trying to cut costs from MPLS? Were you trying to add redundancy by giving you, you know, the ability to, to link aggregate multiple connections together? Um, you know, if I can better understand that goal, then I can better, you know, guide that, that individual customer to, to the solution that's going to meet that goal. Thinking about 40 milliseconds in latency and different zones within the U.S., just a point of clarification, how do people physically connect to your different zones? Uh, are they point-to-points? Are they internet? Walk through that for me. Great question. Um, it, it definitely is pretty much all of the above. So we have customers that will connect over an IPsec VPN to us. Um, we have some that bring in lease line, whether that be you know point-to-point or MPLS. And then we have others that just come straight in off, off the internet uh, for the whatever service we might be providing them. Given that all of our services are a bare minimum, you know, SSL um, mm -hmm. encrypted, um, the internet is quite quite fine for for a lot of the customers. So again, you know, peering with multiple tier one upstream providers in multiple geographic areas usually gives us a pretty good, you know, advantage there. How do the clients decide? You say they come in, you know, through three different primary access methods. What goes into the customer's decision-making process that they say, you know, I need a tunnel versus I need just straight internet versus a point-to-point -point or a dedicated circuit? Generally, that that's decided uh, as to what service they're buying and whether or not anything is remaining on premises. So, for example, uh, you know, a customer may have you know, 20, 30 locations that are already on an MPLS connection, and they, maybe they have a PBX on site that they're doing you know, you know, extension dialing and long distance hop off you know, from you know, the branches. And it's, at that point, it becomes very simple for us just to become a, a node on that MPLS network rather than 
trying to pin up a bunch of site-to-site -site tunnels or doing some sort of um, you know other uh, access method at that at that level. So that that customer will more times than not you know make us you know a, a node on the PLS network. And in more recent cases, we become a node on their SD WAN implementation. Uh, but we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Um, sure. You know, customers that may only be subscribing to uh, services that are natively internet based, like you know, hosted exchange, for example. Uh, no reason for them to come in over any kind of permanent you know connection. That's just internet based traffic anyway. And then if a customer has the ability to migrate everything to us, um, which we have a lot of those customers, um, they may just want a, a, a lease line connection from their headquarter location to us for, for nothing more than uh, peace of mind. You know, you still have the customers that, you know, simply don't trust the internet, um, it, especially prior to SD-WAN becoming so prevalent. Now, we, we are finding a lot of our customer base now is is dumping those point to points and MPLS connections for in favor of of SD WAN solutions, properly designed ones, I should add. So one of the things that comes up on a regular basis, another thing that comes up on a regular basis, is is just what you're talking about. There is making you know that decision making tree of how do I access the cloud, and for us, it's proximity of data, it's security, it's latency, it's you know, diversity for network connections and all these great things. But I don't know if I've ever seen a real clear matrix that says if you have X, you should, you know, contract for Y, you know, to access your your data within the cloud. You know, is that something that you guys provide an analysis of? I mean, how, how do you handle that? Yeah, that's uh, an analysis um, to the extent where, you know, it, it's part of our discovery process. Right. So when we talk to a customer and, and, and you know, tomorrow I'm flying to New York City to, to meet with one um, where we're going to have this very discussion where, you know, they've got an e-commerce site hosted at one place. You know, they've got their IT applications in another and they want to move all of their desktops to the cloud with us. So that's going to be a key component of that conversation with that potential customer is, you know, hey, how, how do you want to access um, all of those applications? You know securely uh, globally and, and and you know virtual desktops conversation turns into quickly an, an identity access uh, management conversation because at the end of the day the customer simply wants their end users to connect to their applications securely and they want to be able to manage that um, security from a central location um, so you know let's say they have you know 20 or 30 servers in a co-location facility somewhere and they want us to provide virtual desktops for them. Well, it's pretty much going to guarantee some level of direct, uh, you know, fiber connection from wherever that colo facility is to our virtual desktop infrastructure. And the reason for that is when you're providing virtual desktops and you're moving from, you know, traditional desktops, well, the traditional desktop users are used to wire speed access to their you know, client server applications. And to avoid any uh, disruption or degradation to that level of uh, comfort from that end user, you need to mimic that speed, in which case, you know, it makes a lot of sense to bring in, you know, a gig fiber connection, you know, from that colo facility uh, to our 
to one of our facilities. Now, given most colo data centers these days are carrier neutral, they have tons of uh, access uh, providers in them. More times than not, it's a simple cross connect on each end and the, the data centers are already lit. So that makes it a simple conversation. If, if the customer was just looking for something like disaster recovery as a service and uh, they, they, we, didn't, we wouldn't even care where their servers are at today, um, as long as they have an adequate bandwidth outbound uh, from that source location, then it doesn't matter what kind of connectivity they have. We would just create a secure tunnel between the locations, put agents on their machines, and start replicating. Uh, where it does become important is when they declare. They say, okay, we've had an actual disaster. How do we access all of that data? And that's where choosing a provider that can also provide virtual desktops might be beneficial or at least an answer to that solution because we could simply provide a web-based secure access to all those apps through virtual desktops which would again alleviate the need of bringing in you know dedicated connectivity to the dr site um, but you know a customer may decide hey i want it to look just like production so i'm going to i'm going to go ahead and bring in a, a permanent uh you know lease line connection into the dr site to make sure that when we fail over it's no different than we are in production. So a lot of it just comes down to the customer requirement um, and how they want the environment to look and feel and, and perform. Uh, but again, you know, that there's not a, a, a simple recipe that says, you know, A equals B and B equals C. You know, I brought you on this call today, Dwayne, to give me the simple recipe, and it sounds like we're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah, it's it, well, I mean, that's why we all do the things that we do in, in this industry is because it's, it's not as straightforward as some would hope that it would be. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts and the different puts and takes based on, you know, everything from the technology to the business case and what the business needs to accomplish to compliance to you name it. Um, so, you know, we go through all of these different components. I, I guess, you know, you touched on security and security is always a big issue. Um, I guess as you look at network and, you know, things being put into the cloud, what are the key points that you look at with security? Uh, there's a few for sure. Um, try to boil it down to the, to, to the buckets that make the most sense. Um, you know, for us, uh, you know, given that a fair amount of our business is virtual desktops and being accessed in all the various ways we've talked about, you know, just pure internet access, VPN, and lease line. We want to make sure that the end user experience is identical no matter where they're coming from. Um, and, and so, you know, if that's, uh, you know, over a VPN, if that's at grandma's house at Thanksgiving over a shared computer, whatever that might be, we want to make it simple and repeatable and seamless to that end user. So, uh, you know, security for virtual desktops is starts with the, the SSL connection to that brokers the, the, the virtual desktop itself out to the, the web browser. Uh, but we can layer on uh, two-factor authentication on top of that. And so we have a number of customers that may say their policy may be you don't need two-factor if you're on the LAN or inside a corporate you know, location, but if you're outside of that, um, then prompt for two-factor uh, authentication, uh, which becomes just a mobile push technology to any modern uh, smartphone. Um, so that's one one 
part of security that we're you know very concerned with uh, when we talk with our customers another uh, which is a part of the security conversation is single sign-on or identity access management and what happens in today's world you know given all of us are using uh, software as a service apps, you know, and that ranges from, you know, Google Apps to Salesforce to NetSuite to QuickBooks Online, and they all have their own logins. And, you know, you, the last thing you want is end users writing passwords down on a sticky note. And so we really try to, to understand all of the various applications that a business uses so that when we deploy, um, access to them, whether that's through virtual desktops or uh, some sort of single sign-on uh, solution, that we make it uh, one login for every user gets to everything. And there's a lot of benefits to that, um, you know, given, you know, onboarding and offboarding of employees are the two that come to mind, uh, which is, you know, when I provision a end user, I simply add them to the proper groups uh, that for the applications they need access to, and then I have pure single sign-on from A to Z. Um, and likewise, when I offboard an employee, especially if it's one that I didn't uh, plan ahead for, uh, you know, someone who maybe gets terminated, I have one location where I disable their access, and I don't have to go touch 10 or 15 different application, uh, you know, credentials and make sure that I didn't miss any. So from a compliance perspective, which also dovetails into security conversations, um, that identity access management solution is, is key um, to, uh, to streamlining operations in any business as well as you know, just general security in itself. So, yeah, I mean, security is always a discussion that everybody likes to have. Trying to circle back here for a second to the SD-WAN discussion we started with and the idea of performance in SD-WAN. One of the things that RapidScale did, and you know, we've talked about this in the past, where it's, it's a very cluttered marketplace when it comes to SD-WAN. It seems like everyone seems to be throwing their hat in the ring and, and you know, most of them are just appliance guys to your point or they're you know different different components that they're adding to it and it all falls into the SD-WAN bucket there was something that I think you know rapid scale was doing that I thought was very interesting and seemed to add more value than just another SD-WAN provider out there is based on your cloud services you know it's uh, it sounds like you went down the path to become you know able to offer SD-WAN services can you talk a bit about that process? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as we mentioned in the early part of this discussion, you know, we had some customers that went out and deployed solutions and, and kind of left us out of the loop, which, you know, it happens. And we started thinking about, well, how can we solve that problem? Well, certainly we can't rely on every customer to come to us every time they want to make a, a decision on their network. So we thought, well, the best thing to probably do is, is look into offering an SD-WAN solution of our own. Uh, we certainly don't want to get in the business of manufacturing hardware or even outsourcing, you know, white labeling of any kind of hardware. So we kind of started with the, the 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 analyst research that you would normally go look for, and and contacting the various providers to find out what would really meet uh, Rapid Scale and Rapid Scale's customers' needs, um, you know, from an SD WAN solution uh, perspective. 
Um, in my personal philosophy is I always like to try to future-proof customers' technologies. That's one of the benefits of virtual desktops in itself is, you know, the customer can buy a, a couple hundred dollar thin client or a Chromebook and, you know, use it for a decade and they're still going to get the same performance and software updates and security that they would get um, on, a, on a regular box, but they don't have to buy a new one every few years. So we wanted to do the same thing with SD-WAN. We wanted to be able to go to customers and say, hey, we don't care what provider you have, what technology that internet or network is delivered over, um, nor do we care what routing protocol you're using. We want to be able to deploy a solution um, that's backed by a, 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 a brand name, you know, secure, you know, company that's not a startup, and and provide that to customers anywhere on any network. And that quickly quickly narrowed down the field. Um, and and as you mentioned earlier, there's going to be tons of consolidation here, just like there is starting to with UCAS and and you know has happened. Uh, for years on the network side. Um, so the last thing we want to do is go go look at a startup that was burning cash and, and not, uh, not 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 going to be a long term partner of Rapid Scales. So there's your sense of adventure, Dwayne. My goodness, <laughs> I've got a, I got a few gray hairs, now. few gray hairs from uh, bleeding edge technology over the years. So no, I mean that makes sense. I mean you really need to look at it and say who's going to yeah. be here for the long haul and. And the level of service, white glove service that you guys provide, I mean, I think it's even more critical that you pick the right partner. So based on that, you know, what was the next step in the process? Yeah, so the next step was we essentially narrowed that down real quick to, to um, you know, the three companies. Uh, and, and, you know, one of them, Riverbed is, you know, by far uh, one of the leaders in the market, market space, Cisco. You know, has various solutions um, that that fit the SD-WAN need, and then Citrix, who you know, as most folks that are aware of RapidScale know, we're we're a really big Citrix uh, partner. And as we started comparing the um, strengths and weaknesses of the solutions, and then you know the potential integration points with services that we already offer, um, it, it became evident really quick that the Citrix NetScaler line. You know, if it lived up to its its uh, documented hype, uh, was going to be one of the better solutions for us. Um, and it turns out that's that's the the, the 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 appliances that we ended up settling on. And there's a lot of good reasons for it. I'll, I'll highlight a few. Um, a big thing for us was uh, dynamic routing support. Um, so as as many customers that have um, a plan to migrate off of MPLS, which is sort of the utopia of most mid-sized enterprises. Um, you know, today they're still on it, and many of them are using BGP or and or OSPF uh, as a dynamic routing protocol to communicate with all the rest of their branch locations. Um, the overwhelming majority of the boxes out there don't support that, and so uh, you know, again. Uh, shortlisting that down, uh, Citrix NetScaler was one of the solutions that did uh, uh, participate in BGP uh, as well as OSPF. And uh, that was really important for us. So again, because we want to feature-proof that customer's network, we don't want them to have to be an all-or-nothing proposition. I can add these appliances one by one over a long period of time, you know, at a customer's um, you know, discretion. Another thing was uh, zero-touch deployment. 
you know, Rapid Scale is not in the business of, of rolling trucks uh, nationwide to, to do on-site brake fix work. And therefore, uh, you know, many people that have mentioned to us, well, why don't you partner with somebody that can just do that for you? And that's when you really lose, lose touch. It's really hard to control, you know, customer experience when, you know, you're outsourcing anything. And so we, we sort of are adverse to outsourcing uh, any part of our business at rapid scale. We want to make sure we're in control of that customer experience. So the zero touch deployment allows us to simply drop ship a box. As long as the customer has someone with the ability to plug it into power and ethernet connection um, that has internet access, um, we can then get into it remotely and push the configuration down uh, within seconds of it coming online. So uh, those, those are two really strong uh, reasons. And probably the last is they have physical and virtual additions. So I can become uh, I can tie into, you know, Azure or AWS or Google Compute Cloud, uh, in, any other, you know, VMware or Hyper-V based uh, cloud solution, as well as my own uh, cloud platforms globally, and all of those can participate together in, a, in an SD-WAN meshed uh, uh, solution. So it really opens up the possibilities for us to deliver services to customers while still understanding that, hey, they're not going to generally bring every single technology to rapid scale. They're going to have some mixture of rapid scale and, and Microsoft and Amazon and, and, and you know, maybe even Colo or on-premises hardware. So being able to have a flexible box that wasn't tied to a specific network carrier that we weren't reselling, um, and it's a, a solution that we can deliver, we own the hardware, and we simply charge that customer a monthly fee for, the, for that service. Um, it, you know, Citrix was the clear leader there. You know, it's interesting that as a service provider, uh, we see a lot of different companies get into different lines of business for different reasons, right? Sometimes it's because it's the hot technology and it's a me too type of thing. Sometimes it's a bleeding edge. We feel this is where the market is going type of thing. Uh, for me, it's always well grounded when someone comes back and said, hey, we have customers an opportunity and a problem that we need to solve and we're able to engineer and design a solution that's going to add value and increase the you know the user experience for lack of a better way to say it so that you know everybody's a happier customer and things are more efficient and it sounds like that's really what you guys were trying to do here so i certainly uh tip of the cap to you guys um we'll see how, how long has the service been available uh it's about a six months now so we have you know a good bit of customers on the platform now. We've learned a lot of really good best practices through that. And, you know, it's, you know, given that we're channel focused from a sales perspective, it's definitely, um, we have a strong pipeline of opportunity there for the solution. Yeah, that's great news. I mean, for, for us, anything that um, we can bring to our clients that's going to streamline the process, make things more efficient, you know, one of the challenges we face is there's a lot of noise in the marketplace. And as we go through and, and, you know, one of the things that we're prone to say on a very regular basis is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And we spend quite a bit of time talking to clients when they're saying, I need to do X. And we're saying, you know, whatever X happens to be, whether it's SD-WAN or, or, you know, a hybrid environment or a cloud environment, whatever it is. And, and we spend a lot of time saying, why are you doing that? Like what, what's the benefit? What's the objective? And that's, that's a lot of what you guys do in your needs analysis. So, um, 
you know, it's an interesting space and, and, you know, I certainly, Dwayne, appreciate your time and insight today. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd want to tell the audience here that we haven't covered today? You know, I think it's, it really comes down to just doing, doing the homework, ask the tough questions, make sure that, um, you know, if you're not an expert in, in a particular technology, there's plenty of folks out there who are, especially our friends at, at NEF, um, you know, lean on somebody that is and you'll learn a lot and hopefully choose the right solution yeah that's a you know great point especially the point about NEF being experts and everything you know the reality of the situation is our job is to work with the best of breed in a bunch of different places and you know I certainly enjoy working with uh, with you and your team but it's a ton of fun because we get a lot of education but hopefully what we're able to do for our clients is streamline the process and bring in the right people and make sure they ask all the right questions and and we drive you know all the way down to the granular details so that the client really has a very clear understanding of all the moving parts and what they need to do and and try to make sure that you know we're making the right moves because the way people move data where data lives and how it's secured and everything has changed radically in the last handful of years. And so it's certainly something that um, hopefully as we work with our clients and we work with our partners, if nothing else, at the end of a conversation, they feel smarter than they did when they started the conversation. So anyway, we appreciate the time today, today, uh, Dwayne, and look forward to speaking to you in the future. And that'll do it for this episode of Telecom Talk.